Welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for all of the audio and sermons from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet every week at 10 a.m. at the Sundial AMC Movie Theater, 151 2nd Avenue North in beautiful downtown St. Petersburg, Florida. So it is, as of this morning, Advent. But I need to tell you something, just in case you didn't know. Advent is not Christmas. It's different. They're different things. Advent comes first, then comes Christmas. Advent is four weeks long. It's this Sunday and the following three Sundays. Christmas is 12 days long, and it starts on Christmas. Hey, somebody should write a song about that. Be sure to include all sorts of animals in there. But here's what happens to us. Advent is a period where we are looking forward. We are anticipating and we are longing for something. Christmas is the day that we get that thing. Perhaps it's easiest to think about this in terms of if you're somebody who has a tree and puts Christmas gifts under the tree. Advent is the time where you get to look and you get to see that there's a box there. And that box may even have your name on it, but that box remains wrapped. Unless you're like young Justin who would take X-Acto knives to those boxes. But, But we wait. Advent is this time of waiting. Which is why we don't like Advent. Which is why we want to skip ahead immediately to the Christmas part. We don't like sitting. We don't like waiting. We want efficiency. And so the very idea of Advent, the very idea of waiting and longing for something more gives us a sort of cultural allergy, sort of something that just makes us uncomfortable. We don't like it. We don't like this time for longing. We don't like this time for waiting. I think think this is especially acute for us right now because in many, many ways, 2020 has just been one big old advent. Think about it. How many times have you longed in 2020 for things to be different? How many of you times have you felt that the thing that you wanted is far away and maybe not even coming? How many times have I had eager expectations and I couldn't quite see how they were going to get there. This is the story of Advent. The story of Advent is that Jesus is going to return and Jesus is going to set things right. But for now, we wait patiently. For now, we wait and watch as the love of God grows in us. But we don't always see that, do we? How many of you would look back at your 2020 of your quarantine and your social distancing and say, ah, yes, I have come out of 2020 a much more patient and loving person. If you have, great. Good for you. If you haven't, I think you find yourself in the boat with many of us. It is hard for us to wait. It is hard for us to long. It is hard for us 
to anticipate. Our love has not necessarily grown in this long advent of 2020. So why? Why is that? Could it possibly be that, that the work of love that God is growing in our hearts is stunted. The work that God is doing in our hearts is stunted because you and I continue to fear. And you and I continue to ignore our brothers and sisters. This Advent, what we're going to do is sort of take time to to work ourselves through the themes of the hymn that we sang uh, just a bit ago. Come thou long expected Jesus. Because I think that song captures not only Advent, but it captures a lot of what we're all feeling right now. Come Jesus, I need you to make this right. I cannot do this on my own. I'm at my wit's end. This is more than I can handle. This is more than all the rope that I've got. What do I do now? Come thou long expected Jesus. And as we think about that first verse this week, one of the things that struck me is, come thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. That there is something unique that Jesus brings to us that makes us free. And so I want to read to you five verses from 1 John chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 16 through 21. And I'd ask that as I do, uh, that you would stand as we hear God's word spoken to us together. So if you would please stand. So we have come to know and to believe in God. And God, I'm sorry, that God I'm going to start over because I missed a line and it's just not making any sense to you or me. I'm so sorry. We're going to try this again. So we have come to know and to believe that God has love for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. City Church, this is the word of God written nearly 2,000 years ago and intended for us this morning. You may be seated. John writes to us something that is very simple. It's very simple for us to understand. God loves us and we're called to live, to abide in that love. This is in some ways a very elementary idea for those of us who have been Christians for any amount of time. If I were to 
ask you what the first song you can remember learning as a child in the church, what that first song was, odds are it was probably Jesus Loves Me. It's, one of the, it's the first song that I think that both of my kids, all three of my kids, learned. Jesus loves me. And oftentimes, we like to think about this, this idea that Jesus loves me, as the, the ABCs of Christianity. This is the elementary, the building blocks, the phonics of our faith. But when we do that, we, we are missing out on something. Because the idea that God is love is not simply the foundation of our faith, but it is the whole of our faith. It is not just the ABCs, it is the A to Z. The whole of the Christian life is plumbing the depths of and understanding what it means that God has loved you. That God has loved you. And that God still loves you. Christian life, again and again, understanding this. And then we we begin to cultivate, what does it mean to live a life around this truth that you are absolutely beloved by God? Because most of us can recite that Jesus loves me. This, I know. For the Bible tells me so. And the little ones to him belong, and they are weak, but he is strong. And yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. And yet, John takes that and shows us two ways that that is oftentimes difficult for us to put into practice. It's often difficult for us to thrive. And and the first one is related to our fears. We see love growing in our heart when we see fear leaving our heart. Fear and love exist in inverse relationship to one another. You know that whole thing where people argue about, is the glass half full or the glass half empty? Oh, you know, maybe it's just, you know, whatever. I want to think about that in a different way for a second. The glass is always full. Glass is always full. Just a question of what it's full of. If the glass has nothing liquid inside of it, guess what it's full of? It's full of air, right? And if the glass is full of liquid, what's not in there? Air. And so the more liquid you put in the glass, the less air is in the glass. Okay. Why do I give a terrible lesson on the existence of water? Because the same way that that works is the way that love and fear work in our heart. If we have a great degree of fear in our heart, especially fear towards God, we will not have love. But as we grow in our understanding, as we grow in our love for God, that love pushes out fear. Now I know you're probably asking yourself, Wait a minute, Justin. Doesn't the Bible again and again and again tell me that I should fear God? Fear God and keep his commandments. I think what we have to understand is there's two ideas behind the fear of God. 
The one is the awe and respect that is owed to him based on who he is. And the other is the fear of punishment. John makes it clear in this passage that he's talking about the fear of punishment from God. Perhaps another way of thinking it is like this. Let's say you crash your car. And let's say you're a teenager. There's two ways that you can think about your father in that scenario. Oh no, my father's going to kill me. Or, oh no, I've wrecked the car. I've got to call dad. Those two ideas show us the two different types of fear. And John is talking about the fear that comes when we are worried about being punished. The anxiety over God's acceptance of us. Now, in many ways, John is using the language here of guilt. But the Bible ties together guilt and shame. And our culture has shifted over the last generation to move towards a culture of shame. Here's what I mean by this. Many of you, especially those of you under the age of 45, are not that worried about whether or not you're guilty before God. That's not a question that you ask yourself very often. But let me ask you this question. When you think about God, if you were to think about God right now, looking at you, looking at your life, what expression would you imagine God has in looking at you? Right now, when God looks at you, what expression does he have? If the expression that you have in your mind is anything other than a joyful grin, you have not yet understood what John is telling us about the love of God. John, John gives us this really kind of strange phrase, because as he is, so are we in this world. Okay, all of those are simple, like two-letter words, and you put them together, and it sounds a little bit like word salad. Let me help you understand. As God loves Jesus, so he loves you right now. As God loves Jesus, eternal, unbreakable love, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. That sort of love, is the love that Jesus has in God. And because of what Jesus has done for us, that is what you and I have as well. When God looks at you, City Church, he smiles, he grins. When God looks at you, he is well pleased. The same love that God has for Jesus is the love that God has for you. And so, we do not have to fear any sort of judgment or punishment. Is Jesus nervous about judgment day? Is Jesus scared of what God's going to say to him on that day? He is not. If we are in Christ, the same can and should be true for us. We should have no fear because we know that our place before God is settled. But there's another way to have no fear. And it is to buy a t-shirt from the mid-90s. 
And there's yet another way to have no fear. And that is just to ignore all of this. You see, some of us, some of us are pretty good at not being afraid of the punishment of God. But the reason why we're pretty good at that is because we have just ignored the existence of God. If I just pretend that God doesn't exist, then all of these pesky questions, all of this haunted idea of what is God doing in my life, if I just assume he doesn't exist, I can ignore those questions. And some of you, some of us have gotten pretty good at that. This is sort of like, this is, even if you don't have kids, you have watched parents play a game that, that I like to call diaper deniability. This happens when there are two parents in a room and a child is in the room and that child needs a diaper change. And that child walks past the first parent and the first parent's eyes light up a little bit and then they try to put on their poker face and pretend that nothing has happened. They may even try to sneak a look in at the other parent. And then the child goes near the other parent and that other parent again their eyes light up and maybe even water a little bit as they give the side eye to the other parent and wonder who's going to flinch first. Who's going to be the first one to admit what everybody in the room knows, what everybody's aware of, what everybody knows needs to happen. This is the way we often treat God. We know he's there. It's very clear and evident where he is. But if I just ignore it long enough, maybe it will go away. Parents, what do you know to be true? The longer you pretend that this isn't a problem, the bigger of a problem you have on your hands. Pun intended. We can't do that. Friends, if you're here and you're not a Christian, it is easy to ignore the existence of God. But I'd challenge you this Advent, as we think through this, what does it mean for God to exist? What does it mean that he really is the holy judge of the world? What would it mean for you to stop ignoring the questions that are nagging in your mind? Because when we begin to understand the love of God, when we see the depth of the love that God has for us, it frees us from any fear of punishment. It releases us from any sense of dread. It takes the weight of guilt and shame off of our shoulders, something that we need to understand again and again. But the love of God not only squeezes the fear out of our lives, but it also shows us how that we are to love our brothers and sisters. And John begins with a pretty direct and aggressive way of putting this. John tells us that if anyone says that they love God and hates his brother, they're a liar. So there's that. If you say that you love God and you hate your brother, the Bible's word for you, not mine, I'm your friend. I wouldn't say this about you, but the, the Bible says that you are lying. 
And it's a good thing none of us do that. Right? Yeah, here's the thing. Christianity is not about just saying all the right things. You can know the nice you can know the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed and the Lord's Prayer. You can have catechism questions memorized. You can have all of the right answers. You can quote John Calvin and Tim Keller. But if you do not love your brother, guess what? The Bible's word for you is liar. That's tough. That is tough. Because because our maturity and growth is genuinely based on our love of others. And genuine is the word that's doing the heavy lifting there. Because here's what happens. Here's, Here's at least what happens with me. I would say, oh no, I do not hate anyone. I'm a pastor. I'm a good Christian. I do not hate anyone. Now, there are several people who bother me. That really just bother me. And guess what? You want, you want to know why I say that? Because if I say to you, you know, I have some people that bother me. You know what you're going to say to me? Oh, that's okay. Everybody has people that bother them. And then in my heart, you know what I get to do? Yeah, see, it doesn't count. I can just call it bothering me when what's really happening is I'm hating them. I'm just changing the words so I feel better about myself. You know what the Bible calls me in that moment? Liar. Calls me a liar. Maturity is growth and loving others. Maturity is seeing the way that God has loved us even when we were his enemies and then teaching us to extend that love to others. Church, if we want to see our faith grow, we begin to see that we are called to love others who are different than us to love those who have less than us and who have more than us. Perhaps I can phrase this a little bit more pointedly. If you say you love God and hate somebody who voted differently than you earlier this month, you're a liar. If you say that you love God and cannot see the image of God in another human standing on a corner asking for food, then you're a liar. If you say that you love God and harbor resentment towards another Christian, you're a liar. This is, this is a hard pill to swallow. If you are a Christian you know that there is judgment. It's a dangerous thing for us to say that we love God and not love our brothers. What it, what it does, what it does is it shows us that we still need forgiveness and transformation. That I still need forgiveness and transformation. I don't have this together. I need Jesus to cleanse me of all my guilt and wipe away all the uncleanness in my heart. Not because God is mean, not because God is vindictive, but because he is holy. 
because his presence will not allow injustice and evil to stand. And so if I am to stand with God's smile, something has to happen, which is exactly what Jesus did. This is the love that God has for us that he sent his son that you and I should not perish, but that we would have everlasting life. Jesus has made a way for us to have a different story. By his blood, he has forgiven our sins. By his body being broken, he has cleansed us of all of our unrighteousness so that now God doesn't just begrudgingly accept you. You are not Jesus plus one to heaven. You are the adopted, beloved sons and daughters of God. So when Jesus looks at you right now, he grins. He grins like the first time you play catch with a new dog. He grins like the first time that your kids get along for an entire day off from school. He grins like the grin you have when you get an unexpected hug from a friend. The grin that you get when just for a moment, everything is in the right place. If you are in Jesus, that is the smile that God has for you and for me. And Advent is about longing and anticipating for that to come true. So church, as we think of the way that God loves us and grins for us, we wait to see him face to face. We wait to see that smile face to face. And in the meantime, we cultivate a life of love. We cultivate a life of love because of the love that he has lavished on us. A love that casts out any fear because we're fully accepted. A love that by necessity grows for those who are different than us. We live free of judgment, of shame and of guilt because Jesus has died for us. Church, we live in a way that shows real love to those who are different than us. So this Advent, may we be a unique people in the face of everything else that's going on in late 2020, may we be an uncommon family committed to radically loving one another in downtown St. Petersburg, Florida. Let us find, as the hymn says, our rest in him. And as we do, may we remember that in his first coming, he has forgiven us. And his second coming, he is gathering us together. Let's pray.